0: Hi, and thank you so much for being here at Self Work today. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've been in practice for over 25 years. I started this podcast More than two years ago now, because I wanted to reach out and extend the walls of my practice, not only to those who might be comfortable with therapy or even be in therapy or know a lot about psychological problems and issues, but to those of you who might be starting out your journey. Maybe you were just diagnosed or maybe you're having some relationship problems that you've never had. And then there's that third group who might never darken the door of a therapist, but would be curious enough to want to know, perhaps, What a psychologist would sound like. So, I'm a psychologist (laughs) and I fit that bill. So, maybe you'll tune in and listen. Today's topic is near and dear to my heart because I believe it's so important for true change and growth. And that topic is vulnerability. As the author and researcher Brene Brown says, you can't get to change without vulnerability, period. If you don't know Brene Brown's work, she is very prolific. And within the last, I don't know, decade perhaps, has written many, many books, mostly about vulnerability, imperfection, and daring to live your life differently. You might want to look up her books. Most of my own very obvious vulnerability, it's not that I don't have others, but this one's the most obvious, has centered around the fact that I have panic disorder, which I've talked about. So I'm going to talk about that anxiety with you and what I've learned from talking about it openly. But what spurred this particular podcast, I was contacted by another therapist here in the U.S. about her own quandary about coming forward, honestly, about her own anxiety. She was pretty scared that it would take her down professionally. So she knew or she'd heard that I'd come forward and she wanted to know what the outcome was. I'll share with you that outcome. And my own observations about just how important revealing whatever you feel vulnerable about to the right people and in the right place that can be for your own growth. Our listener email today is from someone who has used this podcast to help her in her own therapy, and we'll talk about just how she's done that. Always delights me when I hear that people either have gone into therapy because of self work, or that their therapist using self work with their own patients. Or that perhaps self-work has somehow clarified what was going on in their own work. So welcome, sit back, we're going to talk about vulnerability, and I'm so glad you're here. I began having panic attacks in my late 20s. I've talked about it here on this podcast a couple of times, but I get a lot of questions about anxiety, so I thought I'd talk about it again. I still have panic attacks sometimes. They can be triggered by an eclectic assortment of stressors and seemingly happen at random, and that's what makes it difficult. But that seemingly is important here because when I really stop and think about it, I know what's going on. I even had a major one three years ago driving on the highway, and that had never happened in my entire life. I'd always loved to drive, so it was really terrifying. Or I can be swinging along fine and dandy, headed to Lowe's for some paint or to look for a particular kind of knob. I get in the store, and I can feel the panic beginning to creep into my legs. The farther back, I walk into the harshly lit, fluorescent world of gadgets and gizmos, I'll grab something that sort of looks like what I want and simply make it do because I've got to get out of there. Other times, I'm fine and walk around like, you know, I'm so comfortable. and never have had a panic attack. But when my panic attack first began, it was about singing in front of other people. Now, I've done a fair amount of that in my life. In fact, I made my living doing that in my 20s. I remember the very first time it happened I was singing a jingle, and the producer asked me to try the solo. I'd done that very thing countless times. And, you know, sometimes you get the solo, and other times you don't. But it's not a big deal. It's not like for Diet Coke or (laughs) something like that. But as I heard the intro music, suddenly I didn't know what was happening to me. My legs felt like they were going to crumple underneath me. I couldn't catch my breath. I grabbed a stool and quickly positioned it in front of the mic making some excuse about my knee hurting. I did a terrible job. The producer looked at me, puzzled, and he wasn't the only one that was confused. Many years later, because I was ashamed of my panic and so I didn't get treatment for it for a long time, I was later diagnosed with panic disorder and got therapy. But I was beginning, at the same time, to learn just how powerful it could be. I'd been put on what's called beta blockers, to handle my panic those are medications that actually are for high blood pressure but they have the interesting impact since they block adrenaline to divert panic attacks you can feel your adrenaline but your body doesn't respond to it but one morning again years ago i was supposed to sing o oh canada with one of my brothers for an organization's convention it was in the united states but there were a lot of canadians there my dad would be in the audience and i was excited Plus, it'd be a kick to perform with my brother. Then I remembered I hadn't brought those meds. And in seconds, I began to panic about my panic. Now my dad knew I had panic disorder. But that day, he saw it in action, as my very loving brother practically had to hold me up on stage just to get through it. Oh, Canada seemed like the longest song ever written. But as I said in the introduction, what really spurred this episode was that I had a fascinating conversation this week with another therapist who was trying to decide whether or not to go public with her own struggle with anxiety. It had had dramatic and severe ramifications in her life, everything from playing a major role in being the victim of sexual abuse, or at least she felt like it did. She felt as if she couldn't find her voice to stop it because of her anxiety or at least to try and stop it. She never had had the nerve to fulfill her potential personally. For example, she didn't want to risk having a child because it would bring more attention to her. She'd have to get out more in the public. And professionally, she'd avoided any and all things that would ask her to step outside of the box that she'd created for herself. Yet now, she was ready to confront whatever stigma she feared At least she was ready in her head, but her heart was limping along beside her, trying to confront her intense fear of being judged. She'd watched my public speech for This Is My Brave, which actually you can hear in episode 25 if you're interested. So she wanted my advice. She asked if I had suffered negative consequences from coming forward, a question that, of course, really didn't surprise me, but because it was a question I'd asked myself many times but I'd kind of forgotten about it. My panic has certainly had ramifications in my life as well. I left the music business partly due to it. I stayed with a man who was abusive because I was too anxious to let go of that relationship. He knew about the panic and still seemingly loved me. But what I told her was that actually coming forward and being honest about my own struggles rather than being a negative for me that i had been pleased and honored that so many people actually reached out to me and told me, thank you for doing just that very thing. Now, there may be people, maybe even some of you, who indeed do think less of me for sharing my actual real self. I doubt if I'll ever know if you do or not. But I can live with that. I can live with being negatively judged by those who don't understand mental illness or anxiety, or even some who deny that mental illness exists. Some in my own profession think it's highly unprofessional to talk about yourself. And it is if you do it too much in session or something like that. But to reveal your own vulnerabilities, I think it's a gift to give the people you see. What I decided a long time ago is that I didn't want to live with shame. As I said, it took me years to go to therapy for my panic disorder because I was ashamed. Now I refuse to shame myself for what I know is as much a part of me as any other part of me. My strengths don't completely define me, nor do my vulnerabilities. In fact, I remember the therapist who I did go see for anxiety said to me one time, that self that you wish would go away is sitting with you in that chair. That part of you deserves a place, just like the part of you that you're proud of does. I've come to believe that so strongly about any vulnerability. I don't care if it's obsessive-compulsive traits. I don't care if it's PTSD, depression, eating disorders, psychotic episodes, bipolar disorder. No matter what it is, if you reach out to the right people and to people who you trust and who love you, they will support you unless they are in that group of people who firmly deny that any of those problems are real. Now, I can say all that, but what makes revealing vulnerability worth that risk? What actually comes from that? The first person other than family or friends that I actually told I had panic was a patient. And she was sitting on the sofa and talking about her own anxiety, her own panic attacks. And she kind of looked at me and said, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't understand this. And went on to describe what happened to her when she panicked. She paused. And then I took over where she had left off. And I'll never forget her eyes that got wider and wider as I described what it feels like to feel completely and swiftly invaded by a tsunami of panic. That look in her eyes made it worth the risk. Whatever fear I may encounter now about revealing vulnerability is strongly outweighed by knowing that there might be one person out there who listens to this, feels understood, and knows they are far from alone, and that there are many people who will not judge you, but will join you in that vulnerability. It can be a very, very powerful moment between two people when you both share what you're actually like on the inside. And that's the kind of intimacy that I want in my own life, and I would hope that you could build in your own. We have a very simple listener email today. She says, Dr. Margaret, I wanted to take a moment and let you know the work you're doing is great. Thank you. I've attempted therapy on several occasions, but never did these attempts give me a solution oriented result. I always left feeling unheard and emotionally vulnerable without any new skills to aid me in my recovery. Usually I ended up thinking there was no hope of fixing me and I felt even worse. I realize that your podcasts are generalized information and more concise than what one would get at an ongoing personal therapy, but sometimes just having issues validated and recognized is enough to push you on to do your own self-work. I want to thank you for helping me identify issues and providing me with language so I can better explain to my newest therapist what I believe is going on with me. I am feeling more hopeful this time, because by listening to your podcasts, I realize that yes, I am damaged in many ways, but with the right kind of therapist, I can get well and move forward. Again, thank you so very much. Well, thank you for letting me know this. I get a lot of questions, both personally and through email, about finding the right therapist, and I do have A free ebook that if you subscribe to my website, and I guess it's not totally free, but you don't have to spend any money, that you can download. It's called Seven Commandments of Good Therapy. And I more talk about some of the pragmatics of the issues of choosing a therapist. But so many people stay in therapy with someone where the therapy isn't working for them. I understand that you can feel, again, vulnerable that you shared so much information with this person if you've gone three, four, six, ten, twenty 10, 20 times. But their licensure mandates that they have to keep all that confidential. And if they don't, they could lose their license. I've even had people tell me that they felt as if they had to take care of the therapist they were seeing by staying. I would never want a patient of mine to do that. If I'm not helping if I'm not guiding them or being a part of them making the change they want to make, then that's a waste of their time, their money, their emotional energy, and frankly, my own. So the fit between you and the therapist has to be really good. And I realize how can you know the fit before you actually sit with someone? Well, you can talk to them on the phone, you can check out their website, you could ask friends what they're really like that friends perhaps that have gone to them. You can get referrals and not just pick someone out of the blue, but it is going to feel vulnerable. There's no way around that. So if this podcast helps any of you with that, then I couldn't be more pleased. Thanks so much for being here today. There are lots of ways of getting in touch with me. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford dot com, and I will answer you. I'm getting more and more emails, so it may take me a little bit of time, but I'll do my best to get back with you promptly. I do have a website, like I mentioned a few minutes ago. It's DrMargaretRutherford.com. dot com. You can subscribe there, and you'll get a weekly podcast and a weekly post. In a newsletter. And a lot of times there's a little message from me in that. I just started doing that. In fact, I'm having fun kicking around on Instagram. I've never really done too much with Instagram. And all of a sudden I kept seeing these Insta stories and that kind of thing on Instagram. So I'm doing a little bit of that, but mostly I've started this series called What I've Learned as a Therapist. And I've set the goal of doing it a hundred days in a row. Now we'll see. It may be that I just, what I learned as a therapist is not to make those kinds of goals. But so far it's fun. I wander around my house and take pictures of things, just normal everyday things. And then it makes me think of something that I've learned as a therapist and I put it in there. So you can join me at Instagram at Dr. Margaret Rutherford. And you can join my new Facebook group, which is a closed group, meaning that only the members of the group can see posts or comments, and that's at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We're somewhere now between five and 600 members. It's very diverse, and I'm enjoying it immensely. I was so, so tragically sad to learn that actually one of the members of that group died by suicide a couple of weeks ago. I put out a message on Facebook in her memory and in her honor because she had commented on several of my posts on perfectly hidden depression through the years and had been one of the first members to join the Facebook group. And beautifully enough, I heard just today from a woman from Great Britain who had actually seen that Facebook post, had been touched by it, realized her depression was also worsening and got help. That doesn't give any kind of extra meaning, certainly, to this woman's death, but it made me feel good to know that her story did help someone else. It always warms my heart to get on iTunes and see that someone else has left a rating of a review. I truly, truly appreciate that and am very grateful It's the best way. It's not the only way, certainly. Word of mouth is great, too. But it's a very good way to get the message out to others that you value self-work. So I very much appreciate that. Thank you for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.